Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, in the church there was at Antioch, that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manahan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, just kind of give you a little bit of background here. Why don't you, why don't you take this water here? Maybe she needs a little bit of water. I know how it is to get some dryness in your throat. So just a little background. The church at Antioch is a setting where our text takes place. In this church, you have a group of leaders whom the Holy Spirit is highlighting. Two of these, to which the rest of Acts will devote a significant amount of time, are Barnabas and one in particular called Paul. Barnabas was somebody who had risen to a position of leadership in the church of Jerusalem. We know he had, and I'm just going by what the, the text says in the book of Acts, we know that he had contributed financially a significant amount of his resources to help the church out in Jerusalem. I just believe that's a type of his personality. He was a giver. He was a contributor. And we know uh, not just because of what he gave, but because of how his life was, that he gained a significant amount of influence in the church. Acts 4, 34 through 37. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph's who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. So they gave him the name an encourager. Tells you what kind of person he was. A Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, the church was growing. Persecution breaks out. When persecution broke out in the city of Jerusalem, uh, uh, mainly driven by a guy by the name of Saul, who was a Pharisee, who was a, he was a religious, uh, uh, he was zealous for the things of God according to what he understood. He began to, uh, he, he was there approving the death of, a, of a, one of the, uh, the deacons named Stephen, and then he, he began to be the instigator in a, in a tremendous persecution that broke out among Christians. And um, so while that took place, quite a few of the Christians fled Jerusalem, and the Bible says that wherever they found themselves, they preached about Jesus. Acts 11, 19 through 26, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they came to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. You know, it's just amazing. Wherever you go, if you just talk to people about Jesus, you might be surprised that a great number of them might decide to turn to God. That's what happened when I got saved. Listen, when I got saved, I wasn't a preacher. I wasn't, I wasn't a theologian. I wasn't a philosopher. I wasn't any of that. I was just willing. And when I got saved, believe it or not, and I'm not being brag, I'm not doing any of that. I promise you, because I didn't mean to do this. It just happened. When I got saved, my family got saved, the neighborhood got saved. That just happened. Why? Because you had to be willing to talk about Jesus, right? 
uh, we, one of the things that I did in, in, in my house is there was a guy that I knew that he did this seminar on rock and roll, which happened to be very big at the time, and so he came and did that in my house. Everybody from the neighborhood came, and when they came, they heard about the rock and roll. You know, at that time, it was you play these things backward, you know, all these kind of things. Well, anyway, they were there in my house listening to that, and they presented to them Jesus, and it was amazing how many people got saved. It doesn't take a lot. I wasn't even the one preaching. I just said, hey, let's do this. And uh, wherever you go, in this particular instance, wherever they went, they just talked about Jesus because Jesus was important to them. And when they did that, people got saved. So when the church in Jerusalem heard what was taking place, one of the places they went to was Antioch. And when they heard what was taking place, they sent one of their most trusted leaders. Yes, you guessed it. They sent Barnabas. And when he arrived, seeing what was taking place, he went to go get some more help. And guess who he brought into the picture? Remember that guy Saul who had, uh, was the instigator of the persecution that I talked about just a little while ago? Well, guess what? God got a hold of him. He got saved. And when he got saved, persecution stopped. <laughs> but nobody wanted to hang around him, so they sent him outside of the city. And for years, he was in a place called Tarsus, which happened to be his hometown. So when uh, Barnabas goes to Antioch, so I hope you're getting the idea that none of this took place like that. It was over a process of time. When he went to Antioch and he saw what was happening there, he said, man, i got to get some help. And so he went and got Saul, uh, uh, you know, went to Tarsus got, to get a man by the name of Saul, whose name was also Paul. And so in Acts chapter 11, verse 22 through 26, here's what the Word of God says. News of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with the purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, that's talking about Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled and with the church, uh, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, what exactly were Paul and Barnabas doing in Antioch? It says here they were teaching the people. Sometime later, after their first missionary tour, Barnabas and Paul returned to Antioch and took up what they had been doing before they left. And the Bible again states what they were doing. In Acts 15.35, Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now, why am I bringing this out? Because I wanted you to see that Paul and Barnabas were among the teachers and the prophets that were in the church of Antioch. That is, they were fivefold ministers doing what they had been anointed to do, what they had been graced to do. So, first point I want to look at, that was kind of an introduction, is this. Barnabas and Paul were working. Barnabas and Paul were working. This is going to make sense to you in a minute. It may not make sense to you now, but it will make sense to you in a minute. In Acts 12, 25 through 13, 1 and 2, again, it says, In the church that there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Niger, Lucius, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit says, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So the Greek word translated ministered was generally used of public service rendered by someone to benefit others and was also employed in the Septuagint to describe priestly service to the God of Israel. So even though a lot of times we may read that and we may think, well, they were, they were having a worship service, they were singing, they were praying, and it does say that that praying was included in there. I think 
that really what's taking place here, they were, just, they were doing more than just worshiping the Lord. You know, we think of worshiping as singing, raising your hands uh, 30 minutes at the beginning of the service. They were doing more than that. I believe they were actually serving the Lord with their gifts. And the reason I took so much time to, to bring this out at first, they were, they were working, serving the Lord by preaching and teaching to the church. Okay? Are we, are we good there? You might be why didn't you just tell us that at the beginning? Because you need to see it in there, and I, I got to have some time to preach, you know, anyway. So uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 describes their role. He himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And their job is to equip the saints. Can you look at somebody on your left and on your right and said, I think he's talking about us. The role of the pastor, the apostle, the evangelist, the teacher, and the prophet, their role is to equip the saints. Now, if we were going to be practical today, I'm a five-fold minister. What is my job? My job is to do the work of the ministry. No, that's not what it says. I do do the work of the ministry because I'm a saint as well as a five-fold minister. But my job is not to do the work of the ministry. My job is to equip the saints. Yes, he's talking about to do the work of the ministry. So can we be blunt? That means you're supposed to be doing the work of the ministry. Not only is my job to equip you to be doing the work of the ministry, but my job is to equip you to edify the body of Christ. Not to tear down the body of Christ. We got plenty of people. They don't need help in learning how to do that. My job is to equip you to edify, to build up the body of Christ. Okay, so if we read this, it says, For the equipping of the saints, so the saints can do the work of the ministry, to equip the saints, so that the saints can build up the body of Christ. Well, then, what is your job, Pastor? My job is to teach you how to do that job. Church today, in general, is we hire pastors, teachers, we hire them to do the work, and we come and listen and watch them do it. And if we're pleased, we'll stay in the church and give a little bit of money and give them a little offering, and a, a hand clap offering every now and then. No, it is not our job. It's what the culture is teaching us, but it's not what the Bible is teaching us. If we want to become all that God's asked us to be as a church, then we all need to realize that we all have a work to do. If the church is going to become what Jesus intended it to be, then we need to become what Jesus intended us to be. That's good preaching, Pastor. Good stuff, man. I'm so glad that you're teaching us the Word of God. It's just so edifying and encouraging. I'm just kind of teaching you how to do this, all right, in case some of y'all may not know how to do this. I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to edify you and teach you how to do this right. So Paul and Barnabas were working. What were they doing? Preaching and teaching, pouring out their gift to the church, doing the work of God to which they had been graced. That being said, what I want you to see in our text is that while they were ministering to the Lord, preaching and teaching, um, ha, um, they had become one of the most, some of the most trusted leaders in the church of Antioch. 
and it's evident in the fact that when there was a prophet that stood up and said there was going to be a tremendous uh, famine go throughout the land, um, the church of Antioch decided to take up an offering, and when they took up an offering, you're not going to give money to people that aren't trusted. You're not going to give uh, uh, the money to people that, you, that, that are, are uh, scoundrels and, and rascallions. You're going to give it to people that can be trusted. And so they gave the money to Paul and Barnabas so that they could deliver the funds to Jerusalem. Acts 11, 27 through 30. And in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And um, then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that they were going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. The disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So I'm wanting to get a picture for you, and I want you to realize is that Barnabas and Saul were um, uh, working hard in the church, they were laboring, they were laboring well, and they became influential in the church. Now, why? Because they were doing work, right? You ever worked in a workplace where there was somebody that wasn't doing their job? Do you, think, do you talk highly of them? No. Or do you entrust them with more responsibility? No. Why? Because they're not doing their job. What I hope to get across to you is that Barnabas and Paul were doing work they were doing their job they were doing what they were qu equipped to do now that brings us to my second point uh, they were doing a work but all of this message hinders on one word they were doing a work but now it was time for them to do the work that word the is very very important for what we want to talk about here today Acts 12, 25 through 13, 2, as they ministered to the Lord. Again, we already went across that. They're working, they're preaching, they're teaching. That's how they're ministering. As they ministered to the Lord, and while they were doing that, they decided to fast as well. The Holy Spirit spoke, and he said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for not a work, but for the work. What work? To which I have called them. Right? So while they were actively working, they weren't lazy. They were actively working in the church. God spoke to the leadership of the church that it was time for the church to separate Paul and Barnabas for the work. I took a lot of time to reinforce this idea that, we're, that they were already working. They were pouring out themselves to the church through their gift, things that God had placed on them. They were serving the Lord by doing so. Yet the Holy Spirit specifically states that they were separated for the work to which they had already been called. That phrase, to which I have called them, is in the Greek tense that called the perfect tense. And that doesn't mean a lot to you. I'm going to try to make it mean a lot to you. The perfect tense denotes something that happened in the past. So they weren't called in the present. They were called a long time ago, right? It happened in the past, but its effects are still being experienced today. The example that I thought of is that I'm saved. And I wasn't saved today. I was saved in 1985. But the effects of that salvation are still being uh, uh, felt and still producing fruit today. Am I making sense to you? That's what the perfect tense 
means. I'm saved. It doesn't mean that I got saved today. It means I got saved in the past, but the fruits of that, the outworking of that, is still carrying on today. And so that present tense, the work to which I have called them, he wasn't presently called them to doing something they had no clue. He was calling them to do something. Now is the time to do something that I spoke to you about all those years ago. Does that make sense to you? Okay, and so, um, uh, for instance, as, uh, uh, so the Holy Spirit was not revealing something new to them. He was revealing that it was now the time to get about doing what he had called them to do in the past and had been preparing them to do ever since. So while they had been working and they had been working, the work that they were doing was a work, but that work, a work that they were doing was preparing them for the work to which they had been set apart to do all those years ago. So a lot of people keep waiting to do the work, and they don't get involved doing a work, waiting for the work, and they will never get to the work because they're not willing to do a work. That's not what I'm called to do. I know what God spoke to me to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what God called me to do. And, and while they're waiting for that to come about, they do nothing. If I can't do what God told me to do, I'm not going to do anything. Well, I want to tell you something. You're never going to do it because the way to do the work is getting involved in a work. I'm not called to work at the doors. I'm not called to work in Sunday school. I'm called to preach. And until I get to preach, I'm not doing anything. Well, I'll tell you something. You'll never get to preach if you don't work the doors and teach in Sunday school. You have to be faithful with little before you can be faithful with much. All right? Making sense to you. Why is this important? Well, it's interesting. I, 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 every time I come across this passage, it means something to me because I remembered somebody preaching this, and it really hit home. And so every time I go through it, I say, I love this passage. I think about it. So I was mulling on it, meditating on it. But I don't know that I was going to do anything with it. And then that night I had a dream. And I don't remember the dream, but I do remember the word the, and it was in this context, right? I'd been mulling over this phrase, and uh, I don't remember the dream itself, but I do remember part of it. I was dealing with a problem. Anybody ever hear deal with the problem. Any of y'all ever go to sleep and think about your problem? And you dream about the problem, right? How'd that person get? No, not a person. All right, no. Anyway, I remember specifically in the dream, I made a comment, something along the lines that I was dealing with a problem, but I wasn't dealing with the problem. I remember that. I remember waking up thinking the word the, the problem, right? The emphasis was again on the word the, as I said before, that little word, the, can be a huge deal. How many of you know that you can do a lot of work but not get anything done? Right? Because you're not dealing with the thing that's relevant to the situation that you're in. Right? In order to truly accomplish something, you have to deal with the situation at hand. In my dream, I was dealing with a problem, but I wasn't dealing with the problem, the key problem, and it has nothing to do with what it was because I don't remember what it was. I just remember it was about the word the, and that the became relevant because the context in my dream was a problem. So I woke up with the notion that the word the, that pointer word, that word that brings specificity to a generalization, that word the was hugely important. And with the dream in mind, if I could find the problem, it might eliminate a multitude or a host of 
other problems that I've been trying to deal, let's put it this way, trying to deal with the fruit instead of dealing with the root. How many of us keep trying to fix the fruit, never realizing that the problem is going to keep coming back and you're going to be just, just uh, you know, blowing in the wind, you know, until you deal with the root? For example, what if when you're dealing with the issues of life, let's take an individual, what if when they're seeking help, instead of dealing with their surface problem, the Lord helps you by, by revealing to you what the root problem is? A lot of people come to you with, with, with what is they're saying is their problem. This is my problem, right? And so you're trying to help them fix their problem, but in reality, you're never going to really help them because what they're saying their problem is and what they think their problem is may not necessarily be their problem. For instance, in the book of Proverbs, I wasn't intending on going here, but in the book of Proverbs 31, it says that uh, it's not for kings to drink. And that's a topic for another sermon. Too many Christians today are trying to figure out what can I, what's the least I can do and still be a Christian, right? It's because you don't know who you are. If you understood that you're a king's kid, you're a child of a king, then all of a sudden you begin to realize it's not for kings to drink. Very simple. What, who is drink for? Proverbs actually said for people that are hurting. Now, it's not telling you that they should drink. It's just saying that people that are hurting, they drink. Why do they drink? To deal with their problems, to cover up their problems. So if somebody comes to you and they say, hey, man, I need you to help me. I want to stop drinking. Well, you can try to find all these creative ways for them to stop drinking, but that's not really their problem. Their problem is why are they hurting? I'm not good enough. I feel helpless. I feel hopeless. You try to find out what the root problem is, and if you can deal with the root problem, the drinking will take care of itself. You hear what I'm saying? So um, that's why God gives us the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, uh, 7 through 10, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, not for the detriment of all. Some people use the gifts of the Spirit to tell people, tear people down. That's not what the gifts of the Spirit for. And one of the gifts of the Spirit is not suspicion. All of the gifts of the Spirit are supposed to flow through a heart of love. A heart of love wants what's best for somebody. Right? But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to, the, for the profit of, to one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. What if in a business situation or an administrative situation, an economic situation or a political situation, through the giftings of the Spirit of God in your life and on your life, God gives you the wisdom that you need. He gives you discernment that you need. He gives you what is really the problem going on. Not just trying to fix a problem, but He helps to deal with the problem. You might say to yourself, well, wait a minute, the gifts of the Spirit, those are for church. They're not for the real world. Well, it, it helped Joseph in the real world. 
when he was able to save all his brethren and the land of Egypt from famine because God revealed to him through the prophetic dream, the interpretation of dreams given to Pharaoh, how to, to what was happening, and then gave him the wisdom through a, through a word of wisdom how to deal with the problem. Seemed to help Daniel when he was in government in the Babylonian uh, uh, reign. Seemed to help Esther whenever she was going through the problem that she was going through. It seemed to help people all throughout the Bible in their everyday situation in life. It seemed to help Peter and John whenever they couldn't catch any fish. And Jesus said, well, try throwing the net on the other side of the boat. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just a rabbi. You don't know how to fish. But he had a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. And when they obeyed the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, it helped them to do whatever it is that needed to be done to prop up their business and make it successful. Some of you all think that, the, that, that Christianity is not relevant to life. It is life. It's, it, is, it is the uh, uh, key to how to live not just a successful Christian life, that's really the context, but how to live a successful life. And you can't learn how to live a successful life without knowing the God who orchestrated life. I was thinking about a, a certain uh, scenario. So how many of y'all ever had, had a, a car problem? You ever had problems with your car? And you go and you, and you tell them, hey, man, I got a problem with this car. And they said, okay, you need to fix this. And you fix that, still got a problem. You need to fix this. You fix that, still got a problem, right? Now, all of a sudden, you may get a word of wisdom and say, hey, this mechanic, he's willing to fix anything I tell him to because it's making him money. But there are, there are integritous mechanics somewhere that really want to deal and find your problem, right? Now, some problems... Are hard to get at. So they have specialists called troubleshooters that get paid lots of money not to, to find problems because the reason you're there is because you're having a problem, but to pinpoint what is causing this multitude of problems. Because you see, a lot of times one problem triggers all these other codes. And this is happening, this is happening. So what we do is we, oh, man, I'm, I'm having a problem with my, uh, with my carburetor, so we change the carburetor. I'm having a problem with my plugs, so we change the plugs. I'm having a problem with this, and so we do all of that, not realizing that all of that is being triggered by something else. So imagine having the capability to be able to find the problem that is triggering all the other problems, Right? So this is, this is what was going on in my dream. And then I began to realize, hey, that word, the, is very important. I need, to, I need to, to do something with that word, the. And I went back to the passage. And in our passage, like Paul and Barnabas, I, I came to the conclusion that if we can find out not what work is, but we can find out what the work is to which each and every one has been called, and I believe each and every one does have a calling to a purpose and destiny for our lives. Because that's really what we're talking about. What's your purpose? What's your destiny? I don't know. I just work. I just eat. And then I'm going to rest one day and go be with Jesus. If that's the extent of your life, there's, there's value to that. You know, Paul Solomon says, uh, this is the end of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. But you know what? I believe I was put on this earth more than just to eat, sleep, and die. 
I believe I was put on this earth to fulfill a purpose and a calling in my life, and I believe more for you than to just eat, sleep, and die. I believe God has a calling and a purpose for each and every one of us. And if you want to live life, I believe the way God wants you to live and see fruit out of your life, I believe the key is to find what did God create me, what is my purpose, so you live life with a purpose on purpose. You hear what I'm saying? You're not all called to do what I do, but you're all called to do something. What did God call me to do? That's the key. Instead of doing something, I want to do the something that God's called me to do, right? So um, like Paul and Barnabas, if we can find out what the work is to which we have been called, and I believe we all have one, then our life can be geared towards preparing for the time when the Holy Spirit speaks to us that it's time to get on with that work to which he has been preparing us for, the work to which he's called us. We need to have a revelation of the work And then we need to be willing to move when the Holy Spirit says it's time to move into the work. And until we get to that time, we need to be involved in a work. Now, so what am I saying? One is, if you're not doing anything, there is a place for that when you're children. Children are not there really in our context, in our society to, as, as children, they don't really contribute anything. They're takers more than they are givers. Now, we're perfectly happy with that because we understand that they're growing up. And they won't always be taking from me. And some of you have 30 and 40-year-olds, and you're wondering, when is that going to take place? Because we understand that when children grow up, they should contribute used to be when you had kids that they were there to help you with the harvest they were here to help you plant they were here to help you on the farm and now we're having a hard time getting to help us uh, uh, you know even clean their rooms and do the dishes but the bottom line is if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing we need to be training them to work to contribute We live in a society that's about what can you do for me, and that's not life. It's not the Christian life. It's not an entitlement society. It's marriage. A lot of people get married saying, what are you going to do for me? That is not the key to a successful marriage. It's not what they're going to do for you. You don't go into a marriage to take. You go into a marriage to give. You guys are tough this morning. So, it's, there is a place for children because they don't, they don't, you know, are, aren't expected to contribute. But if you're growing in the Lord and you're still not doing anything, something's wrong. There should never be lack in the church because there's so many people that want to do something. There should be a place where we say, hey, man, I'm going to have to create a position for you because you want to do something so badly, and I I want you to do something. But, you know, did you know that that's really not the case? Did you know that, I'm going to talk about our church. Is that okay if I talk about our church? Do you know in our church, we have the same eight or ten people involved in children's church, involved in the nursery, involved in other things, because the rest of the people don't want to do it. Because they're too busy watching Netflix. Or days of our lives. I don't know what you're doing. 
but it's not like you don't have time. Did you know that the busiest people seem to have time? And the people that have no time are the ones that aren't doing anything? I'm too busy. Doing what? I know because I used to do the same. I don't have time, but yet I had time to watch three or four hours of TV every night. Hey, you shouldn't let me read Charles Finney. I'm telling you, it's messing with me, and when he messes with me, I mess with y'all. <laughs> now, what we need to do is we need to be raising up people to work. I don't know where the passage is in the book of Proverbs, but in the book of Proverbs, someone who is slothful, do you know what another word for slothful is? Lazy is a brother to a destroyer. So did you know that biblically, somebody that's doing nothing is not in the camp of God, is in the camp of the enemy? Oh, man, that's hard. But it's not, I didn't say that. The Bible said, I wish I had it right up here to, to recall to you, but it's in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, right? So as we're growing up in the Lord, there should be plenty of people to do the work. But if there's not plenty of people to do the work, it's, the reason is, is because we are immature in the things of God. And again, there's a place for immaturity, but not for people that are supposed to be growing up in the Lord. Amen? So also, equally important, so the Holy Spirit is, we're getting involved in a work so that in the A work, we're learning, we're growing, we're becoming, uh, uh, you know, what we need to be so that the time can come when the, when the time for the work comes around, we're ready to go. As a church, and now I'm not speaking to people individually, but I'm speaking to as a church, it's also equally important that the church comes alongside of people when they are called to go to the work, when they hear the call and the timing of God, that we help to steward those who have God that call, and part of that stewardship is to relinquish people when they have been uh, uh, when they have been called, so that they can get about doing what God has called them to do. What do I mean by that? Okay, so in the book of Acts thirteen and three, it says, after the Holy Spirit spoke to them, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. You know what the tendency is today? I don't want you to go. Don't go. That's not God. God would not have you leave us. Any of y'all have kids? Do you know what I, as a parent, do you know what I want and what I pray for all the time? That my kids would come home. They're 26 and 24. They have their own lives. They would come home, that they want to live next to mom and dad, that they would enjoy us for the rest of their lives. That's what I want. It's what I desire. Any parent that loves their kids wants that for their children. But while I'm praying, then I said, Lord, this is what I want, but you know what I want more? I want them to fulfill their purpose and destiny in their lives. Because if what I want takes them away from what you want, then my desires are not appropriate. Your desires need to take precedence over them because my job is to raise them up so that they can be involved in the destiny that you've created for them. And as a church, even though I want the church to grow, and it is going to grow, my, our, our job is not to get a, a place where there are multitudes of people in here and, and thousands of people, you know, in a big church, and a multi, but they do nothing. Our job is to 
to help people to find the Lord, to raise them up, to find their destiny, and then to release them into their destiny. And if you're going to release people into their destiny, there's going to come a time when you're going to have to let them go. When my daughters find someone to spend the rest of their life with, and they will, regardless of what they tell you, I'm going to have to let them go. I'm going to have to bring my daughters up the aisle, and I'm going to have to put them in the hands of another, and I'm going to say, now I relinquish her to you. And as much as I love them, I know it's the right thing to do. Now, the church at Antioch could have heard all this and said, no, we need you. We want you. We are not going to let you go. And had they done that, Paul and Barnabas still probably would have gone, but they wouldn't have gone with the blessings of the church, and the church would have still remained in infancy in their thinking because that's not what we're called to do. As a church, God's going to bring people in here, and he's going to raise them up to fulfill their destiny. So we're going to have to get used to people coming and going. Not coming and going because they, they're mad. Or, we were used to that already. Because that's kind of the church model and the church of today, the culture of today. That has to change. But people are going to come in. They're going to get built up. They're going to find God's purpose and destiny for their life. And the Lord's going to speak to them. And they're going to say, it's time for me to go. And as a church, like these people there, we have to be willing to bless them and send them on their way. You hear what I'm saying? In the case of the Antioch church, the Bible says that when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas, they sent them away. That word translated sent can also be translated as released. When the church got a revelation of the will of God for Paul and Barnabas, they released them to the work to which they had been previously called. Right? Now, some people just want to go. Right? I, I like... I like to watch this show called House Hunters International. Anybody ever watch that? About living overseas and moving. And, you know, they're, hey, you only got one life. Just go for it, whatever the case may be. And, and you know, when I'm watching the show, I forget that I'm called and, 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 and I belong to the Lord and my life is not my own. Mine is his. And sometimes I'll say, Anna, it's just, you know, let's go move here. Let's go over there. Why not? We only have one life. And then I remember it's not my life anymore. It's his life. Right? And so that's sometimes my personal desire, but my personal desire is not what I'm in this world for. It's to fulfill His will and His desires. And if the Lord says, this is where I'm supposed to be, then I'm going to stay here, regardless of what my desires are. There are other people that are exactly the opposite. They don't want to go anywhere. They want to stay here. They don't like the idea. They never want to go anywhere. And God is speaking to you about going somewhere else. And, and, and you're like saying, no, I'm not going to do it. You're fighting with it, whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden, something should hit home. Wait a minute. When I signed up to follow after Christ, I gave him my life. My life belongs to him. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to me that it's time to go, and then, then whether it's not, it's my desire or not, I got to go. Even, even with Paul and, and, and Peter, Paul was probably better equipped to minister to the Jews. And Peter was probably better equipped to minister to the Gentiles. But God actually sent Paul to the Gentiles and Peter to the Jews. 
And you might think to yourself, well, wait, I'm sure Paul was saying, please let me go to the Jews, man, I can minister to them. And he said, I have a heart for the Jews, but that's not who God sent him to. Send them to the Gentiles. Sometimes where the Lord sends you is not where you personally want to be. But it's not my will, but thy will be done. And if you're in the military, and I know the church is not the military, I know that. But if you're in the military, they teach you when you go into the military that your life is not your own anymore. Even though the recruiters come up and say, hey, man, if you sign here, you can go overseas. You can go to Maui. You can go to there. You can go here. Uh, you know, where do you want to go do? You basically say, I want to go to Colorado. Okay, you're going to Colorado. You sign up. When you join the military, you might get a slip and says, well, wait a minute. I signed up to go to Colorado. Well, that's too bad. You ain't going to Colorado. You're going where Uncle Sam wants you to go. But, but they promised me. I don't care what they promised you. They can promise you the moon. You belong to the United States of America, and you're going where they say you're going to go. And you know where you go? Wherever they tell you to go. Now, in the kingdom of God, we have free will. God doesn't make you. He doesn't force you. However, one of the things that we learn as we grow up is we learn, but, I be, but Jesus went through things he didn't want to do for me I'm sure he didn't want to die on a cross why did he die on a cross for us he laid down his personal wants his personal desires to do what was necessary for you and I to become all that we're supposed to be and as we grow up in the Lord we're supposed to be like him and as we, come, we become like him, at some point, our personal wants, our personal desires should take a back seat to what God wants because love is willing to let go of its own personal needs for the benefit of others. Love seeks not its own. And so my point is, is that if we're still struggling with, I don't want to, I want to watch Netflix, I don't want to do anything, I don't want to work the bill, I don't want to do all these kind of things, well, guess what? You're still living in immaturity. I'm not saying you're not going to go to heaven, but you're not going to experience the power and the presence and the joys of all the things that God wanted into your life as long as you keep crying and acting like babies. Isn't that what an infant is? I'm not looking at anybody. I was looking at the wall when I said baby. I wasn't looking or thinking about anybody. I was thinking about the people online that could have come to church this morning. They didn't want to because they didn't want to get out of their pajamas. I wasn't talking about y'all. God called the church to be a powerful instrument of his will. Let me read you something in the book of Ephesians. I got it memorized, but y'all are looking at me. You know how it goes when people are looking at you, right? Ephesians chapter 1, it says in verse 17, well, let's start in verse, six, verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. I pray this, basically is what it's saying, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. First thing. Second thing he prays for, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. 
Not your calling, his calling. And then number three, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age which is to come. What he's trying to tell you is I wish you knew how much power God has made available to us as his children then why are we not experiencing his power? Because unlike Christ, we're not willing to die. And they overcame him. Who? The enemy. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony because they were even to the point of death. We love to read stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bow down, or you're going to go into the furnace. Do you not realize that what the king was saying to them is if you don't violate your convictions, if you don't violate your uh, beliefs, you're going to die. And I'm just giving you, because sometimes we don't equate, we don't really realize it. Basically, they took stock of where they were at, and they said, you know what? My God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, I'm going to die today if he doesn't do it, because I'm not bowing down. Do you understand? Do you understand what we're talking about? We're talking about I'm willing to lay it all down. And you know what they saw? Because they were willing to die, they saw the power of God manifest in their life. Do you know when we're going to see the power of God manifest in our life? When we're willing to die to ourselves, our selfishness, our self-interest, our immaturity, and take up the cause of Christ and do his will, then you will experience the power of God in your life. You got to die to experience a resurrection. Well, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Wah, wah, wah. When are we going to grow up? When are we going to see people saved, healed, delivered, and set free? Because the church realizes. You know what? Jesus is coming back. We only have a short time to be about the work. The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. We need to get about going and into the into the harvest field. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest field. God, please send Pastor Rick into the labor field. Please send Doug into the labor field. God, please send Marty into the labor field. But don't send me. you know what happens when you start praying that prayer? Because that prayer is never wrong. When you start praying that prayer, all of a sudden, the Lord begins to show you. Wait a minute. I'm a laborer. You hear the voice ringing like Isaiah did. Who will go for me? Whom will I send? Whom will go for me? Whom will I send? And Isaiah, hearing the voice of God hearing the voice of the creator of the universe speaking to him could do nothing but say, you're my Lord, send me. And who knows, maybe like the lepers, 
that confronted Jesus when they got about doing what he told them to do as they went on their way. Maybe that's when they experienced their healing. Maybe many of us will experience our healing when we get about doing what he told us to do. Amen? All right. So 